2: Good morning everyone and welcome to a four day work week. Great to have you with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. Michelle Smallman.
3: Randy it was great. How about you?
2: Good. Kind of low key. I spent yesterday just hovering over grills. So that, that was fun. It was good. Got a little golf in.
3: What is the best thing that you grilled this weekend? Because you talked on Friday about the menu you had planned, and it sounded amazing.
2: I would have gone with the probably the cheddar bacon ranch corn on the cob,
3: Ooh,
2: so, which had cheddar and bacon and ranch. It was really good.
3: How do you get the, the bacon on there? Do you wrap it around?
2: Uh, The the bacon is crumbled and then put on top of the cheddar cheese that's melted above the corn.
3: Now, this might be a stupid question, Uh Randy, as someone who has literally never grilled in their entire life. um, How do you put that on? I imagine that slides off and gets on the grill then. How do you keep it on the corn on the cob?
2: It wasn't too bad. So you grill the corn for 10 minutes and then put the cheese on and just grill it for two and then get it off quickly enough so that you can. It's got to still be melty enough so that you can put the corn on it or put the uh, bacon on top of it. Uh, And then you put the bacon on the melted cheese and then just get some tongs and lift it off.
3: Sounds easy. Yeah. So it's a layered approach.
2: Yeah. And then I just did simple burgers with a a really great spice and did some roasted broccoli that which was delicious and a giant uh, skillet chocolate chip cookie and then homemade vanilla ice cream.
3: I mean, you killed it, Randy.
2: And a pasta salad. uh, Yeah. Oh,
3: is that all? And a pasta salad? Yeah. Sounds great. It was
2: was fantastic. And under the circumstances, a pretty good sports weekend. The match took place. That was fun on Sunday. And of course, yesterday we got word that NHL players are going to start coming back to their facilities, only six at a time, but at least we're getting closer and closer, you would think, to actually playing a hockey game.
3: That news was great. It is the first step to hopefully a snowball effect where if that goes well, then we can jump to the next thing and then the next thing. And I know, at least here in St. Louis, there's a lot of players who did stay around town and have been working out here or there, but I would think to get at least six players into the facility, at least six players that are here shouldn't be that difficult. So hopefully that happens soon and we get some reports on, on how that is.
2: And it's interesting, the players are allowed back at the facilities, but not with coaches or trainers. They just have to work out by themselves where they're on the ice, and the league, in a memo, says it'll continue to monitor developments in each of the club's markets and may adjust the overall timing for a possible return, if appropriate
3: air quotes. About. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I understand without trainers, coaches, this is just kind of a very basic step, but first things first, we need to get these guys back on the ice. We need to get them mm-hmm. skating. We need to get them conditioning. We need to get them... Uh, we know they're not going to be game ready whenever the season does start, but the sooner we can get them on the ice and skating, the better off they're going to be because... I- I can't even imagine what it's like to take that time off and then have to get your body back into skating shape. That has to be incredibly difficult, even for guys who have done it their entire lives. You know, to have the momentum of a season and have that Abruptly shut down, and then you're taken away from your training facilities, your trainers, all of these creature comforts that you, have a pro- as a professional athlete, have. Plus, you're not on the ice doing the cardio and the skating that you need to do. So, I-, I know that's probably been very difficult for them. So, let's open those doors and get them back on the ice.
2: Hockey is a unique sport, and St. Louis knows their hockey players. And we know how the Blues bounced back after everybody had the cup last summer and how they were back on the ice and did a great job, got to training camp and had a fantastic season. We know how our best player ever, Brett Hull, was never late for practice despite all the carousing and fun that Hulley had as a player. He was never late for practice. I find it interesting that the league and the players, they even have to put this in, that the NHL stressed that participation in Phase 2 is strictly voluntary and teams should not require players to return to their playing city yet. I can't imagine that there's a hockey player that wouldn't want to be on the ice.
3: No, and I know that's just to cover themselves mm-hmm. it's it's a protection measure but also at the at this stage of the game teams should be able to i know that it's whatever is comfortable with everyone some people might not be comfortable traveling or they or they might have people in their families that they're concerned about but at this stage of the game they should be waiting for, on, on pins and needles for this word and ready to go i also loved that the, in the memo, it says players who live in an NHL market who don't play for that team can have access to that facility. I wonder if we're going to see our boy Pat Maroon. There's no doubt. back, back With you know, his with, fellas? With the Blues, the which is very cool. It's kind of a cool reunion that people didn't expect.
2: Now, the next phase, obviously, would be training camp in those hub cities. Here's Emily Kaplan of ESPN.com on SportsCenter.
3: The initial plan was to do four hub cities. I think the NHL is boiling it down to two. Vegas is totally a favorite because the NHL is such a long-standing relationship with that city. Obviously, there's the Vegas Golden Knights. They hold the awards there every year. And they know they can host up to 12 teams in one casino or hotel. As for the other
0: hub city, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be the east because I'm hearing a lot of Western Canadian cities. The NHL would love to stage games in Canada for a couple reasons. One, it's a pretty Canadian league. But two,
3: it's just cheaper to put on games there right now when the NHL is losing $1.2 billion. They're counting pennies.
2: I think the difficulty would be that the borders are still closed.
3: Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking when Emily was saying that. I understand the reasons why the NHL would be looking for that. But when we talked to Dan Shulman, uh, what was it, a week or two ago, he expressed, as somebody who's in Canada, from Canada, expressed that that was going to be a major obstacle for a lot of these leagues.
2: So that's where hockey is right now, and we're closing in on that date. Uh, Not an exact date of when Phase 2 will go into effect, and... The league is looking at early June to get players back on the ice. Meanwhile, in regards to baseball, the athletics Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich say that Major League Baseball is going to offer an alternative financial proposal to players on salaries tomorrow. And it won't be a full revenue-sharing proposal. But the players are going to have to make a decision as to how they want to go about advancing because it doesn't appear, Michelle, to me that they're going to get all of the money that they want with players not in the stands.
3: No, I don't think they're going to get what they want. I do like that we have a date where we know these discussions have evolved and that a decision is going to have to be made because the emotional roller coaster I think fans have been on watching this play out has been really unsettling. We want sports back desperately. We understand both sides have their line in the sand, but one or both parties is going to have to get for this to be able to be executed. And I just hope that baseball and the Players Association, the owners, that everyone is taking a step back to look at the full picture here and to not let this slip through their fingers because they have a very rare opportunity to come out and do something big for the long-term viability of the sport here.
2: And I don't know if the current players really want to do that. Here are the choices that Rosenthal and Drellich, write are going to be available for the players tomorrow. A, to hold the league to the prorated salaries the two sides negotiate, negotiated in March. That means there would be no reduction despite the fact that there are no fans in the stands. Or B, to accommodate the owner's desire for a second, possibly percentage-based cut in some other fashion. And deferring 2020 salary might be the choice the union is most willing to accept, but owners say, hey, we're losing this money and we aren't going to get it back, so deferring probably is not an option for the owners. Players might like that, but the, the owners are not going to probably be on board with that one.
3: It seems like the players that we've heard from that have been in the camp, the negative camp of, hey, we're not going to accept this proposal, have said, hey, I want every dollar I was promised. Mm-hmm. So when I'm looking at these different options, you would think that the prorated salaries that were negotiated in March, that would be something that I think a lot of players would say, hey, this is something we had already decided. This is where we're going to stake our flag.
2: And they can do that, but there are a lot of agents that are concerned that, playing without fans and the, the the players getting their prorated salaries, their full prorated salaries, regardless of whether there's, fan, there's fans in the stands or not, agents are concerned that the, that'll be taken out on the free agents this coming offseason. And if the players aren't going to be making the amount of money that they expected to make, then they're going to have to make it up somewhere that's just the way they operate and the way they would make it up is by not paying free agents
3: i keep saying big picture because i i don't think a lot of People, some, some players are, some people that we've read about, that we've talked to, especially people that are decision makers in the player association, certainly are thinking about things long term and how this would affect the league moving forward. But it seems like a lot of players are thinking in the moment. I was promised this amount of money. I don't really care how much you guys are losing. I need to worry Mm. about myself. It seems like a very self involved decision for a lot of players. And I don't know how you reconcile that with the players that, that are thinking about free agency, that are thinking about the viability of the league. It seems like while the owners are essentially on the same page, a lot of players aren't. And so that's why this, I think, is going to be difficult to get done.
2: Despite all of that, here's Buster only on Golic and Wingo.
0: There is cautious optimism among the moderates that I speak to, where they feel like that there's become a recognition on both sides. Look, we have to get a deal, because the idea of not having baseball in 2020 and essentially being off the radar for 17, 18 months, is unthinkable. And here's the other reason why, that, you know, through the statements we've seen from the union, from Tony Clark, uh, you know, what Scott Boris has been saying, Blake Snell, uh, through the owners leaking information that seemingly, you know, puts pressure on the players, I think it's created this narrative that would be really destructive for baseball if they don't play. And that is, well, you know what, these millionaires and billionaires couldn't figure it out, so they just uh, bypass the season. That baseball can't let that
2: happen. We live in the St. Louis bubble where Mm -hmm. baseball is going to be popular and people are going to show up at the ballpark when they're allowed to again. That's not the case necessarily in Dallas, Fort Worth or in Tampa where, heck, they don't show up already or Miami or Oakland. There are a lot of cities where there are alternatives. And if baseball isn't there and is out of sight, out of mind, it'll never recover.
3: I think so, too. I think, what was the word buster used? Destructive? Mm-hmm. I mean, this could be a massive mess of their own making. I mean, you remember, what was it, 94, Randy? What was the sentiment there uh, when that was all going on during the strike?
2: Well, here in St. Louis, again. well, there was a lot of anger because... There was It was billionaires versus millionaires. Mm-hmm. And they, they stole our World Series. Those people. And that's why a lot of people didn't come back to baseball. Even here in Cardinal Nation, people didn't come back. And the Cardinals were terrible in 95. But people didn't come back until McGuire and Sosa in 98. It took baseball three years, 95, 96, 97, and then the start of that home run race for fans to come back to the stands. And I think this would be similar. If this is a product of... A uh, financial and economic battle that the players and owners are waging, and the other sports come back. I think it'll be very difficult for baseball to recover, and unless they enact steroids being legal, we aren't having another home run chase.
3: Exactly, I was going to say so. In that case, with completely different circumstances, it you said it took about three years, and it took major star power for it to r- return. Was something that we always talk about with baseball: the lack of star power in baseball right now baseball is look. they're standing on the precipice looking at the landscape of the sports fan in america that is dying for athletic competition i mean look at what we saw this weekend with the match look at what we saw with the last dance mm-hmm. any sports product that is going to happen in 2020 fans are going to ravenously consume it if the nhl comes back if the nba comes back we know that there's going to be some sort of football some way the nfl is going to come back and baseball can't get it done because of money I don't think that the three-year window, if they were to ever come back in 2021, 22, I don't think it's going to happen because I think fans are not going to forget that in this moment. And fans cast their vote now. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different things that they can do. It's not like 94. We we talk all the time about the economic ramifications of what's happening right now. Fans aren't only going to have so much money and they're going to be able to choose. And I think that, that baseball needs to very much be sure of what they're doing because if you're looking at oh look at what happened in 94 we're going to be able to recover i don't think it's going to be the same
2: that's michelle i'm randy and this is carriker and smallman on 101 espn coming up if they do play in 2020 should sports championships be thought of the same way we would in a normal length season that's next on 101 espn know, truncated baseball and hockey seasons here in St. Louis. We've had truncated hockey seasons in the past. The Blackhawks won the strike shortened, lockout shortened. 2013 season, we also had the 2004-2005 season, which was shortened by a lockout. Baseball obviously had a split season in 2002, a shortened season in 1995. And when you look at those championships won by teams uh, from Chicago and Carolina And in 1995, it was the Braves in the 144 game season, and the 1981 Dodgers are, are, yeah, Dodgers over the Yankees. Uh, The sports have never seen fit to put an asterisk next to those championships. If these team leagues play this year, and we do have championships, Michelle. It's going to be played with the circumstances as they are. There's nothing anybody can do about a pandemic. So if there's a hope on the part of some people, because it's a shortened season, that there would be an asterisk next to these championships, I wouldn't be on board with that at all. Now, you're going to win it in a different way, but you're still going to win it
3: absolutely when i think about putting an asterisk next to a season to me that denotes cheating to me that's what you think of about the houston astros okay you you did something to change the effect of the outcome that it, that you yourself did these players like you said these teams have no control over a, a, a universal health crisis you know they in no way caused this so i That's reason number one. I don't think there should be an asterisk. Reason number two, especially in the case of, well, and and baseball too, if and when it comes back, but you have to think about these athletes and what creatures of habits they are. Think about the NHL. For these teams to go through an entire season to get on the same page and get in a rhythm with one another to be ascending to have that momentum and then to have it stop and then to have your workout stop your skating stop for the teams that come back for the team that eventually hoist the Stanley Cup in 2020 I'm going to look at that team above others because I think you're going to be tougher mentally tougher you're going to have to be such a strong team unit there's going to be no time or place for for um y- you know any sort of not team mentality I think there's any sort of asterisk that follows any of these teams, it should be a positive one.
2: Not only are you 100% correct, but let's throw in this fact. If you're an NHL team that is out of the top four seeds, you have to win five playoff rounds to win a Stanley Cup. We saw how difficult it is to win four. We know how tenuous it is. To win five playoff rounds would be a massive achievement. I think in any sport uh, and on any level, that would be a greater playoff achievement, obviously, because they've won five, than any team that's ever won a Cup
3: absolutely and think about we'll just talk about baseball because those are the the two sports that obviously reside in our town but same thing with baseball players know that they have to pace themselves a certain way throughout the season they develop a rhythm with traveling and with the especially starting pitchers with the way that they prepare their bodies to have that cut short you don't have the luxury of the first half of the season to try and figure your stuff out you don't have the luxury of the first half of the season if you're a manager or a front office to figure out what you have before a certain trade deadline i think that Whatever teams come back, they're going to have to be on their A++ game from game one, day one, to emerge an eventual champion. And I don't know why anybody would look at any team that wins post-pandemic and look at them as a negative or as somehow lesser than a team that would win in a normal season
2: to illustrate what you're talking about the fact that a normal season is a marathon and this would be a sprint last year the cardinals obviously won the national league central and they did so in a 162 game season this season scheduled to be 100 or 82 games last year after 82 games the cardinals were 41 and 41 they they would not have won they were at that point uh, Three games out in the division. There's no way you win at 500 if you start off, if you are 41 and 41 at the end of 82 games. So you really do have to, like you said, Michelle, get off to that fantastic start. And then you can't slow down. You can't have a lull. Most teams go through a six or seven game losing streak at some point during the season. You, If you do it in this half of the normal season, then you're done. You're screwed.
3: Big time. And when you put it in that context, you think about it. There's no room for error. No. So the teams that win are going to have to be essentially perfect because you don't you don't have that time to make up. Or you know if you're the NHL and you come in and you essentially have a few games and then boom, you're in these intense, intense playoff rounds, you're going to put your body and your mind through something way more physically strenuous than normal. And that's saying something knowing the caliber and the intensity of a normal NHL playoff round.
2: Now, I want to tell you, because this was before you were born, about the 1981 season, if there should be uh, an asterisk next to a season it should be the 1981 dodgers you beat the yankees in the world series there was a strike in that season started on june 12th ended in the middle of august so they lost 50 games and baseball in their infinite wisdom decided well what we'll do is we'll have a split season at the end of the first half of the season everybody had played a different amount not everybody but many teams had played a different amount of games the cardinals in the first half of the season, went thirty and twenty. The Phillies went thirty-four and twenty-one. They were in the same division at the time. The Phillies were a half game ahead of the Cardinals. In the Western Division, Cincinnati was in the Western Division. Then the Dodgers were thirty-six and twenty-one. The Reds were thirty-five and twenty-one. The Dodgers played one more game, so the Reds were a half game out. In the second half of the season, Montreal finishes first in the East again, a game ahead of the Cardinals. The Reds finish a game out in the West. Both the Cardinals and Reds for the entire season had the best records in their division. Both finished in second place in both halves of their division, so neither even made the playoffs. Wow. And the Dodgers were able to win their their split season playoff against Houston. They go to the World Series. The Phillies and Expos play in the eastern half of the Phillies advanced, and then the Dodgers beat the Phillies in the playoff. But... The Cardinals got screwed, and actually, Gussie Bush got so mad about that that he had a lot of power in baseball at that time, and he got the commissioner fired. He got Bowie Kuhn fired because he, Bowie Kuhn approved this ridiculous split season, and the the, the Cardinals were the best team in the league. The, the Well, the, if the Cardinals and Reds play, it's an epic playoff, and... Uh, After the Cardinals got Joaquin Andujar, they were the best team in the league. The Cardinals could have another world championship under their belt. So if ever there should be an asterisk next to a championship, it should be the Dodgers in 81.
3: Yeah, that one sounds like it still stings, and it should. But as you're recounting this, I'm thinking there's going to be some team and some fan base that is going to wave the flag of the setup wasn't correct in 2020 because of the pandemic. My team is the one that got screwed out of a championship. There's not going to be a universal acknowledgement among all sports fans that says, Yep, we're going to look at these championships as if they are completely valid and then some. There's going to be one yep. team that's left on the outside looking in because they they didn't get the normal season or, you know, they were on the fringe heading in, which is obviously different than what you're describing uh, that happened with the Cardinals. But there's going to be a fan base in this some way, somehow that feels screwed.
2: Yeah, well... What's going to happen is somebody, there's going to be a minor injury that'll keep a pitcher out for like three starts and a team will finish a game out. And they said, well, if we would have played 162, <laughs> well, if we wouldn't have had a pandemic, we would have played 162. So right. you got to deal with the hand that you're dealt, right? Absolutely. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. So we, we both agree. No asterisks. Hey, if teams win, give them all the credit in the
3: world. I feel like they should get some a bonus, some sort of bonus that they were able yeah. to, to emerge. I just... And you have to think about all the other factors: no fans in the stands, your routine that you're you're used to. You're not going to be able to potentially. We'll see how this sh- shakes out. Spit or <laughs> high five your teammates. There's all sorts of factors that these players are going to have to overcome. That to me, wh- whoever does emerge as a champion, I'm going to look at them and say, "Wow." Kudos to you because I don't think, I think this is going to affect players in ways that we're not even anticipating.
2: That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We'd love to hear from you with the My- Rhino Shield mic drop on the 101 ESPN app, or you can send us a text message on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, and you can always tweet us uh, at MSmallman and at Randy Carricker. And you can also use the, the IG if you want <laughs> at M. Smallman and at RJ Carricker. I'm on the Instagram. Next up, we're going to talk to the Cardinal first base coach, Stubby Clapp. Are the Cardinals going to be as efficient defensively and fundamentally as they were in 2019 if they have a shortened training? We'll talk about that next with Stubby on 101 ESPN. We've had difficulty. Reaching Stubby Clap, and we'll get in touch with the Cardinal first base coach uh, very quickly, and we'll talk to him. Michelle, we, we've talked about hockey and baseball coming back, and the possibility of an asterisk. Michelle Roberts is the head of the NBA Players Association, and she told ESPN that the overwhelming sentiment among players has been that they really want to play. And they're going to apparently do so starting in late July at the Wide World of Sports down in Orlando. Michelle Roberts said, it's time. It's been two and a half months of what if my players need some level of certainty. I think everybody does. I do think that of all the leagues, and the only three we're concerning ourselves with are the three that would be playing now, Mm -hmm. NBA, NHL, MLB. I think far and away, the best job has been done by the NBA. And in large part, because if... It hasn't been positive, it hasn't been said in the media, and they're keeping their negotiations quiet and hopeful.
3: That's exactly right, Randy. The hope portion of this is huge because... I think one of the mistakes that baseball made is they gave a potential start date. And so when that didn't come to fruition, you had fans who put a lot of their hope and excitement into a date that they thought this may be developing. And when that doesn't happen, it's major disappointment. The NBA has not done that.
2: Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and the Cardinal first base coach. Stubby Clapp joins us here on 101 ESPN with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Stubby, it's great to have you with us. Good morning. How are you doing?
1: Good morning. Thanks for having me on
3: stubby how has life been in quarantine for you as somebody who lives eats breathes baseball for your entire life it had to be very strange for you to all of a sudden have your routine and have baseball stop in its tracks
1: yeah it's been it, it's been uh it's been different <laughs> it's the most time i've spent with my family in a long time <laughs> so uh uh it's it's been uh you know you're, you're caught in your tracks but yet you're trying to make the best of the situation so um that's what we're trying to do here.
2: How do you make the best of the situation from a baseball and, and a, an occupational perspective?
1: Well, right now, there's not a whole lot that I can do personally. And so, um, you know, we're, we're trying to just stay ready, stay engaged, uh, whether we're being able to catch up with our players, make sure that they're staying in shape, um, see what they're doing, be, make sure that they're, uh, they're staying engaged with the game somehow, some way, whether it's via... Uh, you know, meetings or something like that and just talking the game over with them and, um, stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's the best we can do right now. Um, and so we're, we're trying to take advantage of that part anyways.
3: So it had to be difficult for you as a coach. I mean, part of the reason why you excel at your job is because you have experience that players can look to and you can guide them through different different situations. And this is a situation that you've never dealt with. No one's ever dealt with this before. So you guys are all kind of starting at stage one together. So how's that been for you to, you know, not have that experience and just kind of have to roll with the punches along with the players?
1: Well, that's it, right? So we're 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 all doing that together. We're all just taking it taking it in stride, um, letting uh, letting this thing kind of do its own thing, and that's that's all you can do. You can't force anything. We can't we can't get mad about anything because it's out of our control. So uh, you know, control what you can, and just go go with the flow of it.
2: Stubby, obviously, during an off season, you have certainty. You know that everybody's going to show up on Valentine's Day down in Jupiter, Florida. Uh, is there any way that you can treat this like an off season, though, even though you have that level of uncertainty and you don't? Uh, for example, the communication that you talked about with the players, is that similar to what you would do in December and January?
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah, you, you know, you just call and check in on them, make sure they're OK, you know, make sure that their families are OK. You know, just you're thinking about that stuff right now, the health and safety part of it. Um, and then, and then we talk about the the baseball aspect of it. And make sure, um, see if they're able to get any kind of activity in and stuff like that. See where they're at physically, see where they're at mentally, and, and, and you know, kind of just kind of keep tabs on that. That way, uh, when things do fire up, we know where we're at with them.
3: Speaking of keeping in touch with players physically, I know that a lot of people have been checking in on Zoom. You've had team meetings and whatnot on Zoom. Have you been able to, able to watch any players work out? Or just how have you been able to monitor the way that they've been physically taking care of themselves during this time?
1: <laughs> just by question. That's true. <laughs> we haven't been able to see anything or anything like that. It's just, you know, you call them and you ask them if, uh, if they're keeping up with their workload that, uh, you know, we that we prescribed. And then, uh, you know, you just you trust that they're doing it.
2: The Cardinal first base coach, Stubby Clapp, with us on Carrick and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Stubby, you as a player were a terrific fundamental player defensively, base running. You did all the little things really well, and you've coached that, whether at the minor league level or at the major league level. How difficult will it be to get the players back to where you expect them or you want them to be fundamentally? Uh, It's going to take
1: some time. You know, it'll, it'll, it'll take some time and I, and I think it's what it's going to do is it's going to come down to the physical part of it just to, uh, make sure that their legs are in shape and make sure that they're, uh, they're ready to go physically. And then, uh, I think once they get into the role that, um, you know, we're at a big point of spring training when it all happened. I think they'll be able to, you know, kind of build from there and then be able to go.
2: And I know that there's a lot of fans that think, oh, they're a major league baseball player. They you can just throw them out there on the field and they'll be able to to field the ball or, or run the bases. But that's something I know that you, as coaches and Mike Schilt, you take down to ground zero on the first day of spring training, right? The, the easiest fundamental uh, you, you're going back to the most the the, the 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 smallest details are taken care of on those first days of spring training.
1: Yeah, yeah. You just you break it back down. You you break it back down and. You just talk about the simple things, um, and just get the mind reengaged with what we're looking for and how we're how we're looking to get things done, um, and then you build it back up. And uh, with with our crew, with our our group of guys, uh, we feel confident that we'll we'll be able to do that, and then uh, build it back up at a, at a quicker pace than normal.
3: Speaking of fans, stubby, are you thinking about ways to help players adapt to the fact that there's not going to be fans in the crowd? Because when we've interviewed players or spoken to other people within baseball, they say that that's going to be something major that players have to adjust to. So what are the conversations that you and the other members of the coaching staff have been about helping players adapt to that new reality?
1: Yeah, that'll be something new. Um you know, personally, I don't, we haven't had that conversation yet, so um, I'm I'm sure that'll be you know roundtable discussion on on how we'll take care of that and how we'll approach it, and uh, then we'll be able to go from there.
2: It's kind of like the Florida
1: State League, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All over again. Did two years there,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Stubby. You have managed and played in seasons with that split season, where you have basically two sprints. And if we get back and we have this eighty-two game season, it's going to be a sprint. How does your approach change in essentially half a season as opposed to that marathon that's one hundred and sixty-two games?
1: Well, I think you just you got to come out and just play good baseball right away. You know that's that's the key. You know every, everybody should be healthy, and now it's just up up to us to come out, and play good baseball, good fundamental baseball, and go take care of what what we need done.
3: Stebby, I want to talk about something that will get listeners excited and hopeful. And one of the main storylines heading into the 2020 season was fans' excitement about Dylan Carlson. As somebody who spent a lot of time in Memphis, a lot of time in St. Louis, you've seen a lot of players in different stages of their development. And while the expectations seem pretty high amongst the fan base here in St. Louis for Dylan Carlson, as somebody that's seen him in action, what do you think the expectations for him should be?
1: Well, I think he's he's a good, solid, all all around player. Um, he's exciting. He's exciting with his speed. He's exciting with his knowledge of the game and his aptitude that he's able to apply in the game. Um, and obviously, he does it at a young age. So, um, good young player with a lot of high with a lot of high side uh, coming to him, and uh, he he takes the game seriously and he plays it the right way.
2: And stubby, when we talk about fundamentals, it's got to benefit a really young player like that twenty, twenty-one years old. When he's coming from a place where his dad was a high school coach, and Dylan told us during spring training when he was six years old, he was out there watching his dad coach and working with those teams. So he's been doing those little things his ent- literally his entire baseball life.
1: Yeah, so that's where that's that's where something like that you know it's it's ingrained in him, and he and he's. Uh, he takes pride in it, and uh, he, obviously, he he does it in his game.
2: We're obviously dealing with a pandemic, and baseball is doing everything they can, like you said, to make sure that everybody is physically okay. Uh, from your perspective, is this going to be easy coming back during the course of a pandemic? Or are you just ready to go, or do you have any hesitation?
1: Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't have any expectations. Like he, like you said earlier, there's no. We've never done this, so to have expectations, I think, would be silly. I think the, the important part would be go back, go back in with an open mind and see see how we can be able to uh, get back and, and do this.
2: And one of the big things, and Stubby, you've seen it uh, on so many levels about baseball, is that baseball can be a galvanizing force, certainly in the St. Louis community, but around the country and. I think that's something that from a major league standpoint, when you guys put that cap and that jersey on, that you can have an effect on the morale of the country. Have you, have you ever thought of it that way?
1: Yeah, yeah, actually, um, definitely have. I was I was a part of it and, uh, for 9-11 uh, when that happened. Um, and to be a part of a situation like that and then being able to go back and play and kind of um, re-boost, it, reboost the morale of the country and... Um, the people around us i think that's going to be important i think it'll be uh i think it'll be a big moment a big moment that's not going to be taken lightly
2: hey finally one thing you are a canadian citizen have you stayed down in jupiter or are you back up in canada
1: no actually i'm back home in tennessee, Hello, in tennessee. i live, I live tennessee. in tennessee okay. yeah i live in tennessee in the off season and uh um so when all this happened uh they sent us home and i came home i've been home with my family so it's, it's been nice to to be here and actually enjoyed the house a little bit okay
2: good we we were just wondering and maybe you've talked to some of your family members the nhl talking about doing one of their pods in western canada now do you have any idea of what the borders are like between the united states and canada if you wanted to go up there right now could you
1: i i could i could go because i'm a citizen Uh Um, but yeah if you're not a citizen you cannot go it's it's closed
2: okay so that'll make it easier for the canadian citizens that are nhl players (laughs)
1: Yes, yes. If you're if you're a citizen, or and I do believe if you have your green card, which I do, um, that's how I, that's how I'm able to live in the states. I live um, via my green card, and uh, you're allowed to go back and forth if you need to. Okay. Um, I have not tried. I have not heard of anybody trying, so I really can't speak to to anybody's experience. Well, we always
2: like the education that you provide. We appreciate it.
1: I uh, appreciate you guys. Thanks thanks for having me on. Thank you, and we hope to see you soon. Take care. All right, take care. See thanks. you later. That is
2: the Cardinal First Base Coach Stubby Clap with us on 101 ESPN.
3: You know, it's got to be so difficult for managers and coaches out there. I mean, we talk about players' routines being disruptive. How about if you're a coach and you just call your players and have to take their word for it that Mm -hmm. they're doing everything necessary to be physically ready to go if and when they get that call to report?
2: And especially young players that really haven't been through anything. They've been through off-seasons, but they've always had gyms. And now you have no place to go work out, and you're sitting Mm -hmm. around, and you're eating those ho-hos. And and (laughs) those things add up in a hurry, and those late-night nachos.
3: Oh, my gosh. You're playing video games, mindlessly yep. eating. You're just like, I'm just trying to play Fortnite with my friends, but I, whoops, right. I ate an entire bag of cheese popcorn. Right. It's got to be difficult. And I empathize with players. It's tough. Well,
2: I'll start working on tomorrow. And then the next day, I'll start working out tomorrow. And then we don't have a date. I'll start working out tomorrow.
3: Well, and I think that's the, the one thing that's so interesting about this situation is... It humanizes these guys to a certain effect. We're dealing with the exact same thing they're dealing with. Normally, these athletes are in an entirely different world than we are. And yes, to some extent, they still are. But what we've been feeling, the anxiety, the stressors of this unknown situation, they have as well. So when they come back, if some guys are out of shape, I think the empathy that fans might have for them. might be a little bit greater because normally it's you have no excuses. You're a professional athlete. This is your job. Whereas if some guy came back and was like, listen, I was really anxiety ridden through this. I I couldn't mentally get myself to the place I needed to be to work out I think you know fans would say hey respect I also have not been able to work out I also have Mm -hmm. struggled in my job because of this situation that we're dealing with
2: and this can get us into a different conversation we'll only take a couple of seconds here but one of the things that the Cardinals really look closely at when acquiring or signing a player is their work ethic and their star. their ability to be a self-starter when they gave matt holiday that 120 million dollar contract one of the big things they said at the press conference is we know that he's going to work his butt off and he's going to be in great shape Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons they gave paul goldschmidt the biggest contract in team history we talked Last week, to uh, Benji Molina about Yachty running 8 to 10 miles a day, right? We know Adam Wainwright's working. We know that he's in town working with KK. We know DeYoung and Wong are working out together. So the Cardinals have a lot of guys that they can count on being in great shape.
3: And how about Matt Carpenter?
2: There's another one. You know that he's going to work too hard.
3: Right, exactly.
2: So that's Michelle, I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN, character and Smallman. Get your text in now to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Freeze Pops is here, and he's got Take It or Leave It for us on 101. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or
0: Leave It with character and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
2: Number four for character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Ordinarily, we don't see many cars on Olive, and right now there are none. But there are more <laughs> cars this morning that I've been seeing driving by than I have in our first three weeks. And we, of course, here, uh, we, we we advocate uh, texting and driving. If you do it within the, the confines of safety, like if you're sitting at a light, you can text to 65780 if you've got to take it or leave it.
3: Do voice to text.
2: Voice to text. We'll read it. We'll figure it out. And we won't judge you. Because of your grammar. Mm. Okay, maybe we will.
3: <laughs> No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding.
2: Colin Surrey <laughs> has your take it or leave it questions for us on 101 ESPN.
0: Alright, you guys, much was made last week about Elon Musk naming his child after some insane equation. But don't worry, guys. The baby's name has been updated as the last part as the last part of the name is being spelled with Roman numerals instead of numbers. Giving your child a strange name is nothing more than a selfish attention grab on social media. Take it or leave
2: it. I'm going to leave it. Because before there was social media, people were naming their kids Espen, ESPN. And there's a lot of kids in America named Espen. And there wasn't social media. I think it's just people that are craving attention in some fashion. These days it might be social media, but I don't think it's necessarily social media driven.
3: Yeah, I think everyone is trying to give their child a unique name. I think that's why we're seeing so many people throw Y's and E's and I's and things that traditionally wouldn't be in a name. They're trying to misspell it, or I shouldn't say misspell it, but spell it differently, spell it in a unique manner. Um, Now, this is something completely different. Um, I mean, you might as well have just gone the prince route and given the kid a symbol, you know? (laughs) I mean, I always think about it if... I'm a child and I'm going to school and the teacher is reading out the name and if the teacher, sure, if they can pronounce it but maybe butcher it and then you can say no, it's not Anna, it's Anna or whatever it may be, okay, we can work with that. If it's symbols, I don't know how to approach that. Now, do I think Elon Musk's child is going to have to worry about the traditional classroom setting? Probably not, but come on. This is not unique. This is not special. It's just plain confusing. Yeah.
2: There was uh, a Ron which is Jaqueline. <laughs> Classic.
3: My favorite is Balake.
2: <laughs> Come on, Balake. Uh, there's also here in St. Louis, uh, my son went to school with a young lady named La Dash, and it was LA and then Adash.
3: I mean, I kind of respect that, though.
2: <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs>
0: All right, you guys. From the 618 on the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Take it or leave it. Dylan Carlson has more home runs than any Cardinals
2: starter has wins this season. Leave it. I don't think that he might not even... Well, he'll be on the 50, man. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he might not even play in more games than... uh, If Jack Flaherty has... Let's see, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 40. Um, Jack Flaherty, might, he may might have nine wins. Uh, he'll play more than nine games, but he won't have more than nine home runs.
3: Yeah, we thought that the first half of the season, the Cardinals were going to use it to assess the outfield situation. And then, you know, Carlson may get his shot there. There, I, As much as I would love to see the kid unleash leash, as, lo, as much as I would love to see him out there, I think that because we have this truncated season, they're going to need that time to figure out the pieces that they do have.
1: And
2: think about this. Flaherty, uh, this would actually work in the favor of Dylan Carlson. But like Mike Maddox told us last week, Flaherty thinks he can go four, but he, he's probably not until the second month of the season going to be able to pitch enough innings to get a win. But he'll start 16 games. He, he might win eight. I don't think Carlson hits more than eight. i I'll throw. That's going to be my number. Eight? Yeah. I'd take eight. I would take, but I don't <laughs> think he'll get it. I, I don't think that... They'll give him the opportunity to get that many.
3: Gosh, that has to be so frustrating for him, for the front office. You have these plans on how how you want to deploy his career. And then, you know, we, so many players, so many teams, different plans that they had in place are completely thrown out the window. Right. And, you know, gosh, you think about the Cardinals and, and how many times they've thought, okay, post-Albert that this was going to be the guy or post-Albert, this is the situation that is going to unfold and it hasn't happened. It's kind of amazing that they've been able to have the success that they've had with big plans that they had in place being disrupted the way that they have.
2: Think about this. For 15, 16, 17, 18, four seasons, they thought they're, in 2013... Before the 2014 season started, they thought for the, the, those four years that their number three and four hitters were going to be Oscar Tavares and Alan Craig. Man. Yeah, so things don't go the way you expect them to all the time.
3: They don't.
0: Take it or leave it. You guys enjoyed the Lance Armstrong doc a lot more than expected.
3: I haven't finished it yet, so I'm going to push on that one.
2: I'm going to take it. Yeah, I, I loved it. I love his self-critical nature because he's never been self-critical mm-hmm. before. It's a different side of Lance Armstrong that we've never seen. So I, I like seeing that.
3: Yeah, my initial feeling heading into watching it was okay we're going to have a guy who is a notoriously prolific liar tell us about the situation like I thought in no way he would sit there and be self-critical I thought he was going to be in a protective mode so from everything I have seen slash read like I said I haven't finished it yet I will for tomorrow because I know we're going to break it down tomorrow Randy Mm -hmm. Uh, but that he was more open and honest than expected
2: certainly than he was with Oprah (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) 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 <laughs> Former NBA forward Matt Barnes said on his podcast that he turned down a championship ring from the Warriors in 2017, saying that he doesn't count that as a championship because he was just along for the ride with Curry, KD, and the guys. Being a veteran role player on a championship team makes you less of a champion than a star player on a
2: team. Take it or leave it. I'm going to leave it. I, don't, I wouldn't turn down the ring. No.
3: I'm leaving it, and I also think this is Matt Barnes telling on himself, because when you look at veteran players... Okay, look at, for instance, Jake Allen. Jake Allen on the ice didn't necessarily have a huge role down the stretch in the Blues Stanley Cup Championship. But what he did for that team was invaluable. The way he scouted other goalies, the way he prepared the players in practice and mimicked the moves of different goalies, the way that he embraced Jordan Bennington and elevated different people. So while he wasn't Bennington out there making those big saves, his role was critical in the team's success. And I would in in no way ever look at him and think that he wasn't as, as valuable and as big of a part as anybody else. It's a team sport. It's a team championship. So for Matt Barnes to say, I didn't earn it, tells me that he really wasn't that involved that's him mm-hmm. saying well, well yeah okay these guys like Steph and KD they were the ones that brought it home but if if you truly were invested and you truly knew that you were a team player you wouldn't take on that mentality no,
2: because even in his role you should have been in a situation where you made those guys better in practice every day yeah iron sharpens iron and if you. Weren't doing that. If you weren't giving everything that you had in practice, then maybe you should turn it down. But that seems to be more a reflection on the way he feels about himself. Mm -hmm. And by the way, there's a lot of people that would argue that KD shouldn't have taken a ring either. (laughs) That maybe he was along for the ride too.
3: Yeah,
2: I don't agree with that, but I think Stephen A. would say that, right?
3: Sure. And even if I was along for the ride, I'm getting the ring. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally taking the ring
2: and then auctioning it off. Yeah, big time. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, and thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line six five seven. Next up, as we start hour number two of Carriker and Smallman, time for our fresh take, the latest on the NBA here on 101 ESPN.
0: That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.